I do want to do this with you tonight. James is, is one of those writers in, in the New Testament that what he does is, is very, very plain. There's not a lot of interpretation that you and I have to do with the book of James. He is very straightforward. He uses his own illustrations even. In fact, a lot of times with students and with youth ministry, um, as they begin to read through God's Word, James is one of the first books I encourage them to read because there's not a lot of interpretation that they have to do. James is very straightforward with what he says. Um, So there's not a whole lot that I have to do with the Scripture for you tonight. Um, I just want to kind of outline it for you. Um, Try to give some structure to it, a way to maybe think through this Scripture together tonight. Um, but, But so far, let me recap for you. You ready? James is, is breaking things down about Christian maturity, I think. And in chapter 1, he's really telling us kind of about how, how mature Christians are noticed by the way that they endure and the way that they go through suffering. And then in chapter 2, he kind of tells us that, that mature Christians are noticed by their obedience, by putting not just faith, but putting works with faith. It's kind of what he does in chapter 2. And in chapter 3, he's going to get to this idea where mature Christians are noticed by the way that they use their words, by the way that they tame their tongue, which is a very, very difficult thing. But that's what he does, um, I think, in chapter 3 for us. I'm going to start with you. We're going to read kind of a few verses at a time as we go tonight. Starting in chapter 3, verse 1, says this. says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brother, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. Now probably what's happening here um, in in James' context, um, in the early church, there are people that are are sitting around in church, and what would would normally happen, whether it's a synagogue or whether it's just a home church setting, there would be an opportunity for people to speak about what God was, was teaching them. And there would be people, probably especially in the early church, wanting to make a name for themselves, that they would, would stand up in the crowd when that time came around. And, and they would stand up and they would begin to talk about what it was that God had showed them or what was some sort of wisdom that they had that they wanted to give to other people. And James is really kind of saying, look, you might not want to just jump onto that. You might not want to be the one that speaks out first. It's almost this idea where we're a little bit like Peter. When you follow the life of Peter, and early on in, in his process with Jesus, he's the one that sticks his foot in his mouth a whole lot. Um, like, God, I'll never, ever forsake you. And, oh, yeah, you will three times before the night's over with. Um, like all these things that Peter does and kind of sticks his foot in his mouth. And that's kind of what's happening, I think, in the early church, that James is writing to these people. And he's like, look, you, you might not want to be the one who says that I want to lead and I want to teach because you you need to have a really good control over what you're saying. Especially following up this idea in chapter 2 of of having your faith that match up with your works and and then to speak. All this needs to be in line. And so he's writing definitely to Christians, but even more specifically, he's writing to people that want to take a leadership role in this chapter. And especially with this crowd that we have on Sunday night, the Sunday night crowd, I'm guessing that the vast majority of you have some sort of leadership role in our church. So it's definitely a message for us tonight. But he gives this exhortation um, to them about, hey, be, be careful about jumping up to teach. And then in, in verse 3 is where he really starts going through these, these illustrations. I want to take them by pairs with you tonight. Um, he kind of pairs up these illustrations in talking about the tongues. So let's look at verse 3. It says, if we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. 
So what, what, what James does in these two verses, he's talking about this, these illustrations of a rudder and then also of a bit in a horse's mouth. And what he gives us is this idea that the tongue is powerful to direct. And it gives direction. You and I, as, as we lead and as we teach and as we preach, and, and, and in my role working with teenagers and whatever your role is as a Sunday school teacher, whatever it is that you have, you and I, as we speak to people, we have the, the ability to give direction to their life and to cast vision and to, to even maybe even correct some things or challenge them to do some things. We have the ability to give direction to people's lives. And as we do that, there's, there's very careful... Careful choosing of words as we do that. I've heard it once said that, that if someone were to tell you something negative about you, that, that people remember that. And it takes about ten times for someone to say something positive to kind of even out the one negative thing. You and I remember the negative things. And some of you, maybe you can think years and years ago about some teacher or about someone who maybe said something about you and it's stuck with you. But for some reason it's harder to remember the compliments and and the encouraging things. So we need to be careful about how we give direction to people. Even the tone of what we say, sometimes if it's just a half-truth or, or, or just the very small, small things about what we say can direct people. And then even sometimes it comes in knowing the people. I played a lot of sports um, growing up, uh, five different sports in high school, not because I was a great athlete, it was because of a really small school. Um, and so... My coaches um, had to kind of, I watched some of them as they learned the different people on our team, played a lot of basketball. My basketball coach, uh, my senior year of high school, he, he, between my junior year and senior year, um, he spoke some words to me that, that he knew were, were a little bit harsh, but he knew that for, for me, for my makeup and my personality, that it would make the next year different. It would make the next year better for me as a basketball player but what he said to me may not have been what he would say to somebody else the way that he directed me may not be the way to direct someone else and you and I as we give direction to people have to be very very careful sometimes even the smallest little details matter very very much once upon a time our, our staff um where we were doing staff retreat, and I was coming a little bit later after some of them. Um, and I remember, because I'm terrible with directions, um, I had to call, and I said, hey, I need, I need some directions on, on how to get out here to the absolute middle of nowhere. Um, and so my friend Andy Carter um, gave me directions, and I followed them explicitly, exactly as he said. And I remember coming up to a dead end, absolutely not where I was supposed to be, <clears throat> And there was a sign that I even took a picture of, and I sent it to our pastor. Um, something, some sign about uh, said something like, I, "I told them that I was sick." And I didn't really know what that meant, but I'm guessing like this this individual had passed away, but shortly before then had carved out himself a sign and and stuck it here in this road that I was on. <laughs> and it really was because of one word in the directions that were sent to me. It was take a left after the first bridge when it should have been take a left after the second bridge. Just one word. There were lots of things in the directions because really we're, we're, we're in the middle of nowhere. But one word in the direction can be something very different. Now on the opposite side of that, if we go back to Peter, 
Peter eventually gets things right, and he eventually gets his foot out of his mouth, and he eventually becomes one of the greatest evangelists that we ever know. And you and I, as, as careful as we have to be, it does not mean that we stop giving direction. It does not mean that we are so careful that we don't tell and we don't correct. We just need to do it wisely. As we teach and as we give direction, it has to be something with care, but we still do it because you and I have the ability still to direct people toward Jesus Christ. So he talks about this powerful tongue that directs, and then he gets on in verse 5 to a perverted tongue that destroys. Look at verse 5 with me. It says, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. He gives these illustrations of a fire and then an untamable animal to speak about how our words can destroy. They can destroy several things. They can destroy relationships. They can destroy the unity of a church. They can cause things to escalate and be out of control very, very quickly by what we choose to say. My father, as a a pastor, has been a pastor all of my life, has been at Hillcrest Baptist Church in Jasper, Texas, uh, now for about 22 years. was 13 years in Sperger, Texas before that, where I grew up in southeast Texas. Um, I started in ministry as a youth minister when I was 19 years old at Emmanuel Baptist Church. I remember Dr. Holly telling me, unless someone asks you, you don't tell them how old you are. I said, yes, sir. And I've, I've been around church for a very long time. And most of it have been very, very positive experiences. But you and I both know that sometimes just the right word it can turn, turn unity in a church into to, to arguing. And you and I need to be careful about what we say, about how we talk about people how we talk about the people that we love, how we talk about our own church family. When you are talking with your spouse, so often there's just that one word, and things escalate very, very quickly. And you and I have to be careful. What what James is talking about, this perverted tongue, is is the idea that it's supposed to be used for, for something, but instead it's being used for destruction. It's the untamable animal. And he mentions it also as a fire. And it says even a fire that, that from hell. And, and the, the word there for hell um, is really um, Gehenna, um, which there's several different words that are used throughout the New Testament. But that's one that's actually referring to a place. Um, it's in the Valley of Hinnom, which is south of Jerusalem, where it's a place where human sacrifices once were made. Um, it was then uh, a place where, where there was a constant fire. It was where people would basically burn garbage and those sorts of things. It would, would be there, but it was constant, constant smoldering and fire. And, and it would be a very, um, very relevant illustration for him to use here. And when he talks about this idea that your tongue, is, that, that, that's where it gets its source from, would be this constant fire that just continues to burn. And that's what it can be if you and I don't have control over it. It would be something that they would be very, 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 um, I don't know, they would recognize easily. And it's something that if you and I um, don't get a control over, and how, how appropriate that is, 
this constant burning of garbage and how that relates to gossip. About how sometimes we talk to you and, and about one another. The arguments that maybe we have with people. The things that maybe we, we see and post online. It's still, I think, a, a relevant picture for even some things that happen even now with our words. So it's a powerful tongue that directs. It's a perverted tongue that destroys. But then he also says it's a polluted tongue that defiles. Verse 9, he gets on to two more illustrations. He says, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. These allusions, uh, illustrations of, of water and fruit trees. I think if James is writing today, I think that if he's singling someone out, it would be the people that come to church, and they're, they're all in. And they're, they're worshiping and they're, they're singing and they're, they're walking up to the pastor after a great message. Dr. Reggie did really, really well. And then as soon as they hit the parking lot, it's something completely different. Monday at work, they're a completely different person. And that's kind of who James is kind of singling out here. People that go back to a life that has nothing to do with God. One of the biggest arguments against Christianity, whether it be by atheists or, or even by people that maybe even believe that there is a God. One of the biggest reasons people don't attend church or come to God is because of Christians. It's because of, of what they would say would be hypocrisy. It's the hypocrites that are at church. And it's, it's been used in, as an excuse for a very, very long time. And sadly, sometimes I think that it's true. That there are people that come to church. And they act one way here, but then people see them somewhere else, and it's something very, very different. You and I try telling someone about Jesus or about the gospel, but then what they heard from us yesterday was something that was not godly at all. They're not going to assume that we are godly. They're going to assume that we are fake. They're going to assume that we are a hypocrite. People don't necessarily assume the best anymore. They would rather assume the worst. So you and I need to be careful with our words. Sometimes I find people that have told me, John, it's hard for me to be careful with my words. I'm just blunt. It's what I am. I'm honest to let people know what I think. And that's okay. But I feel like sometimes when people tell me that and they say, John, I'm, I'm I'm just very blunt. What they're really telling me is, John, I just don't really care if I hurt people's feelings. And, and maybe there's an, even an argument of, of well, John, Jesus was, was blunt. And at times, he was. But most often, Jesus was very, very careful with what he said. Jesus was very, very calculated in what he said, in, in how he said those things, in the illustrations that he, that he chose. The times when Jesus was, was blunt with people are actually very few. There's very righteous anger that went along with it as well. But most of the time, Jesus was very careful and calculated. If Jesus was blunt, you and I might be in trouble. 
we might not want Jesus to come and be very blunt about our sin, about the things that are going on in our life, and just come out and, and tell people in front of people and for us to stand and say, like, Jesus to come and say, well, I know this person, and here's what's going on in their life, and they shouldn't be doing that, and, and here it is. That'd be a scary situation for most of us. We'd rather have Jesus come and say, let me tell you about grace, let me tell you about mercy, let me tell you about forgiveness. Let me tell you that what you're doing is wrong, but on top of that, let me tell you how I've come to rescue you from it. And if you and I are too blunt with our words, we never get to the rescuing part that Jesus does for us. So we have to be honest, but we have to be calculated in what we do as well. There's also sometimes that in the world even that we live in that is hypersensitive to things, that these words of James, they ring even more true for me. That it's so easy to say something that would offend someone. That I don't know that we're very far away from, from the Bible itself being offensive literature. Now, we, you and I know that it's truth. And you and I need to be wise with what we say, controlling in what we say and how we say those things. To present God's truth in a way that directs, in a way that directs people toward Jesus. In a way that still speaks the truth, but it speaks that truth in love. I get so nervous sometimes when I, when I speak about especially certain topics. Because I know that sometimes even what I say may not even be heard correctly. My children do this to me. We were, we were sitting uh, maybe a couple months ago. And we have our, our family Bible story time at the, at the end of every evening right before they go to bed. We do all the baths and that kind of stuff. And then we have a Bible story and then we, we put the boys in bed. And it's not as pretty as what you're thinking in your mind. Usually there's one like running around and, you know, they're not sometimes not really listening. But we try to get a Bible story in. Well, my wife, Lee, was reading um, these stories about some of the kings in the Old Testament. And as she was reading, she was reading through the list of some of them, and this man, and this, and did this, and did evil in the sight of the Lord. And this person, he too, did evil in the sight of the Lord. And I watched my middle child, as only he can, start just chuckling and laughing. We are like, what is funny about reading a list of Old Testament kings? And he said, he too did evil. Yeah. When she said he too did evil, what my now four-year-old heard was he tooted evil. For the rest of the night, we were done. There was, there was no more. You just you can't you can't come back from that. I was nervous even sharing that with you tonight. But sometimes I think you and I, even in presenting the truth, it can be misheard. And there's really only one defense of that, and that's your integrity. It's having such the integrity that if someone were to hear something that would come out of your mouth that would be offensive or that would be seen as, as wrong, that instead of thinking you as fake, that because of your integrity, they would immediately question and say, 
did I hear that right? Is that really what they said? For someone else to say, well, I heard the pastor at Temple Baptist Church said this. For him to have such an integrity that that person would say, are you sure? I want to know from him what he said. I want to make sure that this is okay. Instead of just thinking, well, yep, just like the rest of those Christians. But what that requires is for your integrity to be so great. To be so Christ-like that you are above reproach. That's very difficult. That takes a very mature Christian. And that's what James is writing about. He's telling us in order to be that kind of mature Christian that we have to have control over our tongue. I want this to be a challenge to you tonight, especially as church leadership. For you to have control over what you say to people, whether those people be strangers, whether they be people in a Sunday school class, whether they be your friends, whether they're your spouse and your family. Whether it's something that you say out loud, whether it's something you send in a text message, if it's something that you post online, if it's something that you write down in a letter, whether you sign your name or not, for everything that you say, for every word that gets, that comes out of you, that slips by your filter, to be carefully chosen, to be calculated. So that you and I, by using our words, instead of turning people away from Christ, that we would always direct people to Christ. Verse 10, I want to read with you one more time because I think James kind of sums it up in verse 10. It says, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. It may be that you have to choose your words to read that verse to a friend, to hold someone else accountable so that they hold you accountable, to tell someone, you know, how you said that, what you said. It ought not be that way. It could be that God, even tonight, maybe for some of you, along with me, is challenging us. The way we say things, what we say, maybe they ought not be so. I want to challenge you again. Use your words to direct people to God. That your words would, would reflect your integrity so that you would be above reproach. Let's pray together. We'll have a time of invitation. Father God, we do love you. God, oftentimes what we say or how we say things or the attitude that we carry around with our words, or the tone of our words, sometimes it does not reflect our love to you. It does not reflect our dedication to you, Father. Sometimes our, our words and our tongue get us in trouble. But God, you offer us forgiveness. God, for those of us that need to come to you for that tonight, I pray that we would. God, that, that you would help us as Christ followers, God, to have integrity. Father, one of the easiest ways to lose our integrity is what, with, what we say. Father, help us 
so that our words would direct people to you, so that our praise that comes out of our mouth as we sing to you, as we pray to you, as we thank you, God, that it would be genuine and it would be sweet before you. It would be that sweet-smelling incense, God, that rises to you. God, as you know us and as you know our hearts, Father, even as we sing this next song together, Father, maybe what we, we sing be true. May we be found as people that direct others to you. Look forward to what you're going to do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.